Today, we close our study in Hebrews chapter 11, where God references some 30 Old Testament Bible characters who are heroes in his eyes due to their faith. What is faith? Well, as I study Hebrews 11, here's the definition of faith I see. Faith is God-given conviction enabling me to walk with complete confidence regarding the unseen spiritual realities revealed in God's word. What are those unseen spiritual realities? Well, that's what we've been studying for the last four or five weeks. First, we discovered that heroes follow the incomparable, meaning that God's heroes don't start by doing heroic things. They start by being in a personal relationship with the incomparable God because God's word reveals the unseen spiritual reality that God is personal and wants a walk and talk with me daily that makes me a hero in his eyes. And then we studied that heroes perceive the invisible, meaning that God's heroes are not motivated so much by the material things in this world, but by unseen spiritual realities like eternity, judgment, heaven, and eternal reward. And then we studied how heroes embrace the inhospitable. God's heroes don't collapse or complain or condemn God when they go through difficulty. No, they grow through hardship and they see, they trust in the unseen spiritual reality of God's eternal plan for good. And today, we conclude by studying the truth that heroes experience the impossible. Uh, Hebrews 11 is a rapid-fire introduction to all these Bible characters experiencing the impossible, like Daniel, who is sentenced to death and uh, thrown into a ravenous pit of lions because he refuses to worship a human king. But as he's in that ravenous uh, pit of lions, Miraculously, the lions become like purring kittens. And when the king saw Daniel playing footsie with the lions, he said, this is impossible. Like Moses, who went to Pharaoh and said with God's uh, word, let my people go. But this tyrant wouldn't release those slaves. So Moses announced plagues of flies and frogs and locusts and darkness that made Pharaoh's magicians tremble and say, this is impossible. Like David, who was below military age, probably 17 or 18 years old, and came upon a battlefield where God's people were cowering in fear before a giant of a man who cursed God and dared someone in God's name to challenge him. And when no one came forward, David stepped in with a sling and five smooth stones. Goliath began to spew words of hatred toward David, and Goliath had had much more that he planned to say, but something else entered his mind. It was a smooth stone that entered his mind. And when Goliath fell, the enemies of God's people ran away screaming, this is impossible. Hebrews 11 has example after example of men and women who experience the impossible because they put faith in God, described in the very first sentence of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we trust and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
These heroes experienced the impossible because they had faith. They had conviction regarding the unseen spiritual reality revealed in God's word that God intervenes in the lives of his children who invite him into their impossible situations. The question is, do you believe this? And if you do believe that God wants to intervene, are you actually inviting him into your impossible situations on a daily basis? Like I mentioned uh, last week, there are false teachings about faith. Last week, I mentioned the false teaching that is this idea that faith is a power of positive thinking that gets God to fulfill my demands for material health and wealth. It's the idea that if a believer is poor or sick, it's due to the believer's lack of faith. That was last week's false teaching. Today, I want us to think about another false teaching on faith. That's kind of the opposite extreme. Uh, this is the false teaching that God no longer does the miraculous today. That God no longer responds when his people in childlike faith invite him into their lives to intervene. That God's people no longer experience the impossible. <laughs> what a shame that believers Believe these lies on the extremes. On one hand, you have believers using prayer in faith as a way to demand from God houses and boats and cars. And then on the other hand, you have believers who don't pray in faith for anything. They've bought the lie that God doesn't really intervene in our lives anymore to do the impossible. Now, most of these believers, uh, they still pray, but they only ask God to help them in nonspecific, general, little ways, kind of asking God to help them in ways that are really just helping them along in what they can already do. Uh, maybe just doing it maybe a little bit better. Like, God, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Well, it's asking, you know, God to help is something your body is probably going to do by itself. Or, God, help me have a good night's sleep. Or, God, help me to... You get the idea. It's just these little prayers that are nonspecific and require absolutely no faith. Prayers of faith involve asking God to intervene in specific ways to bring about what would be otherwise impossible. So the big question for me, for you, for any follower of Jesus is this. Are you regularly, daily, inviting God into your life experience to do what would be otherwise impossible? Now, you may be saying, well, I'm not even sure I have any impossible situations. You do. Uh, and your impossible situations, to your surprise, are very much like the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. For instance, do you have any relationship problems? Uh, do you have anybody in your life that you might consider mm, just impossible? Uh, people impossible to handle. People impossible to reach. People impossible to to love. 
Well, Hebrews 11 demonstrates that in the midst of impossible people, God's heroes reach out in love. In the middle of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, are introduced briefly. Their full story is in Genesis, and we're told that Jacob was born holding on to the foot of his one-minute older brother, Esau, as if in this race to be firstborn, Jacob was going for the tie. This competition just continued into adulthood, and one day Esau was hunting and came back on the edge of starvation while Jacob was making some stew. Uh, Jacob will not give his brother any stew until he first gave him his birthright as the firstborn. Esau agreed, but he felt cheated and anger boiled within him against his brother. Then Jacob took the hurt to the next level when to get his blind father's blessing, Jacob impersonated Esau. It was an outrageous deception that broke his father's heart and sent Esau into such a wild rage that he threatened to hunt down Jacob and kill him. So Jacob ran away from home and never came back. Decades went by, uh, Jacob's mom and dad died, and Jacob longed to reconcile with his twin brother. But it was humanly impossible. But Jacob believed in a miracle-working God who could intervene in impossible relationships. So despite Esau's death threat still on him, Jacob started sending gifts to Esau. And then Jacob came out of hiding and told Esau where he could be found. Jacob prayed and prayed, and then the servants told Jacob that his brother was approaching with 500 fighting men. Trembling, Jacob walked toward his brother Esau and his army and listened to Genesis 33 and what happened next. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. And Jacob said, to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me in peace. And I love that phrase. To see your face is like seeing the face of God. It's a profound statement of how Esau's forgiveness was a reflection of God's power in reconciling people. God loves intervening to make impossible peace possible. And I'm speaking to you if you have an, an impossible relationship. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your mom or dad or a son or a daughter. Somebody is on a warpath against you or you are maybe quietly, secretly, on the warpath against someone else. And right now, you realize that God is calling you to invite him into your impossible situation. Nobody guarantees that it's gonna turn out like Jacob and Esau's story, but you need to stop hiding and be a hero. You need to stop hating and be a hero who reaches out in love with the impossible love of God. That's what Rahab did 
Uh, before marching around Jericho, Joshua sent in spies, and the only lighted window they found belonged to a prostitute named Rahab. Hebrews 11.31, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies. These spies were her enemies, but Rahab was a hero who reached out past that barrier with love and compassion and saving these spies from certain death. And because Rahab reached past the impossible barrier to love these spies, she was protected. A few days later, when the walls of Jericho came a-tumbling down, and Rahab followed God and became one of God's people, she married a loving man. And how surprised Rahab must have been when in heaven she discovered and learned that her child became part of the lineage leading to Jesus, the Savior of the world, which just goes to show how heroes reach out in love in what seemed to be very small, simple acts of compassion, but how God loves turning these little acts into the impossible in impact. Faith heroes reach out in love and heroes set people free. God called Moses to confront Pharaoh and set some people free from slavery, but Moses wanted God to find somebody else. God came to him tending sheep out in the wilderness, but Moses said, God, that's impossible. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in all the earth, and I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody shepherd. I, I've got Nothing, I, 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 I have nothing but a speech impediment. And God took Moses and Shepherd's staff and together they confronted Pharaoh until he let God's people go. As it says in Hebrews 11, by faith Moses left Egypt not fearing Pharaoh's anger. He persevered because Moses saw him who is invisible. And if you are a follower of the invisible Jesus he wants you to visibly set some people free. There are people in your life who are impossibly lost. But if you use what God has put in your hand and in your mouth, you can set them free in Jesus' name for forever. There are believers in your life who are impossibly enslaved to the past, enslaved to guilt and self-condemnation, but you can set them free by God's impossible working love and encouragement. You can set them free from chains through the prayer of ministry and just ministry prayer in their lives. You say, I've been following Jesus for decades and I've never set anybody free in this way. I've never led anyone to Christ. For me, it's impossible. Well, there's a miracle working God who is waiting for you to invite him into what is for you impossible. So you can set some people free. Now, of course, sometimes the person who needs to be set free is me. God wants to break my bonds of fear and make me one of his heroes who step out in courage. Hebrews 11 mentions a hero named Joshua who led God's people after Moses 
died. Joshua was responsible for leading God's people into the promised land that was uh, inaccessible because of a uncrossable barrier called the Jordan River. The river was deep. The river was wide. The river was raging at flood stage. But God reminded Joshua of what he did with an ocean, with the Red Sea. And God told Joshua to walk right into the impossible. Now here is one of my favorite details in all of the Bible. God did not intervene until Joshua stepped out into the water of the Jordan River. God was never going to part this water as long as Joshua stayed on the bank safe and dry. But when Joshua courageously stepped out into the water, then God intervened and stopped the flow of the river. Joshua could step out in courage because he had the promise that God gives to you and to me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for I am with you wherever you go. You know, you have an impossible situation. Your impossible situation is whatever you should be doing, but you do not do because you are held back by fear. You should deal with your past wounds, but you are afraid to pick up the phone and call a therapist or a counselor. You should take that serving opportunity here at church. You should take that personal risk. You should cross that river and claim the miracle on the other side, but fear holds you back, but no longer. Experience the impossible by stepping out in courage. God's waiting for you to get off the bank and just step into the water and then watch as he parts the waters at your feet. Go ahead, go ahead and ask God for the impossible because that's what heroes do. Heroes ask for the impossible. Heroes ask for miracles. In one way or another, directly or indirectly, all the heroes of Hebrews 11 asked God to intervene in their impossible situation. Over and over in scripture, God makes it clear that the most heroic thing that I can do is ask, just ask God to intervene in my impossible situation. Over and over, Jesus says things like this in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last forever, so that whatever you ask, ask, ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Are you asking? Are you asking God to intervene in your impossible situations? Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do. Meaning that whatever I ask, whenever I ask to bear forever fruit that pleases Jesus, it is always done. 
God never says, whoa, that's impossible. God never says that. God says, it is done. If this is something that bears a fruit that Jesus is delighted in. And you may say, what kind of fruit? I don't know. You gotta start asking. Just start asking and experience the impossible. You know, I've heard some Christ followers say, not in so many words, but in effect, they've said, uh, I believe that God does intervene in the lives of some people, but God doesn't do that for me. And sometimes this sad statement comes from real woundedness, comes from a, maybe a lack of knowledge of who they really are as a child of God and Jesus. But sometimes, if you peel away all the layers, sometimes that statement is just kind of a lame excuse. Sometimes it's just the result of someone who's chosen to make this life a comfortable stroll in Jesus when we've all been called to an exciting race. All heaven just weeps over the miracles we leave on the table because of this lame excuse. Hebrews 11 is followed by these words in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? Well, they are the Bible heroes mentioned in Hebrews 11, who now cheer you on as a hero in God's eyes to run the race that God has out uniquely, personally, for you. And in the first message of this series, we talked about this race and how in Hebrews 11, the heroes are given in chronological order, indicating that this race is a relay race where one hero hands the baton to the next hero. But this is not a race where uh, the athletes are running in laps. This is no more going back to the original historical relay race where the runner held a scroll instead of a baton, where the king would write his word, write his will on a scroll, and then he'd give the scroll to the runner who would then run and hand it to another runner who would hand it to another runner, all the runners keeping their eyes fixed on the person who represented their final destination, the person who would open the scroll and fulfill the will of the king. So the Hebrews writer is saying that God's heroes race with a baton of his loving word, his eternal will, and Abel hands it to Enoch, and Enoch hands it to Noah, and Noah hands it to Abraham, and Abraham to Peter, James, and Paul, who hands it to faithful Christ followers over thousands of years, who now hand it to you. The baton is now in your hand, and all of heaven is watching what you're gonna do with your holy moment. Notice that they are not a cloud of spectators. They are a cloud of witnesses, so, meaning that this group from Abraham, Moses to David are all standing giving testimony regarding why you 
can win. Why, you must win the one and only race that you'll be given of any consequence in your life. They stand as witnesses there saying that there is no excuse for you to drop this baton and quit. They're standing as living proof that there is no excuse for you to give in to temptation and give up. Because I am, you are, tempted to give excuses to why you cannot be a hero in God's eyes. You're tempted to give excuses for why it's impossible for you to experience the impossible. But the cloud of witnesses will not let you lay down this baton and give up and quit. You say you can't be a hero because you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s and you say you're just too old. But Abraham steps up and he says, I was 75 years old when God called me to become a blessing to the whole world. I was 100 years old when I became a father and began the lineage that leads to Jesus. So don't tell me that it's impossible for you to experience the impossible. Don't tell me that you're too old. Take your baton and run. You're a student, and you say, I'm too young to be a hero in God's eyes. And David stands up, and he says, I was just a teenager when I confronted Goliath in faith. So don't tell me that it's impossible for you to experience the impossible. Don't tell me you're too young to win your race. You say you can't be a hero because there's nothing special about you. You don't have any special gifts or abilities, but Moses stands up and says, that's exactly what I said to God when I had nothing but a stutter in my mouth and a stick in my hand, and God used me to set some people free. So don't give me the you're nothing special excuse. God will use whatever you have to set some people free. So take the baton and run. You say, I can't be a hero because I've got a past that I am not proud of. Rahab stands up and says, I was a prostitute for crying out loud, and God saved me and made me the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus himself. So don't give me the excuses that you're, you've got a guilty past. Don't look back. Fix your eyes on Jesus, take the baton, and run. You say you can't be a hero because you're not perfect. You've got struggles, you've got issues, you make mistakes. Well, Noah had a drinking problem. Jacob had a lying problem. Moses had an anger problem. David had some family problems. Samson had a hair problem. Even a bad hair day (laughs) is no excuse for you to lay down this baton and give up. All of these people and all their problems are listed in Hebrews 11, and they are yet lifted up as heroes in God's eyes, heroes like you, because God loves using broken, ordinary people who by faith invite him into their impossible situations, who keep their eyes on Jesus, and in a relationship with him, They take the baton and run their one and only shot at glory in Jesus' name. And they run and they don't give up. Sound good? All right. 
You can do this. You can win. Just like Albert, here's his story. I had been working on my car in between jobs after the credit crisis. And I told my coworkers that I had such a good time fixing my own car that if I had a chance to do it all over again, I would have become a mechanic. And they thought I was crazy. I had been attending Pastor Dan's uh, Wednesday morning men's group and he had just mentioned that a random Saturday they were gonna get together and, you know, do some repairs. So I like cars, I like to work on cars, you know? So nobody's gonna, you know, criticize my skill if, you know, they're not paying me, so. I don't think he's ever been under a car before. When he changed the oil, he got more oil on himself than he got in the drain, and then if he, he didn't do that, he would drop the oil filter and splash it all over himself. So Albert and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. We're in Bible study together, we pray together, we've gone to Israel together, we do cars ministry together. So I've gotten to know him a bit, he's hungry for God. And uh, we go to this Christian conference together. And during the conference, he has lunch with a pastor. And the pastor tells Albert, Albert, I have a word from God for you. He sends me this email saying how please God is with this business I'm gonna start that has to do with cars. And I explained to Casey that I work in finance. Um, I, I don't work with cars. <laughs> for years we have struggled with parking at BlackRock and last year the opportunity for us to buy the business of the gas station came about and we were excited to use the gas station parking lot for that additional parking. And so I presented at our annual meeting the opportunity for us to buy this gas station for that additional parking. But internally, I was praying that someone else from our church would want to run it and I wouldn't have to run it. Then immediately I remembered what Casey had told me about, you know, starting this, this business. Because I had not been looking for a business. I hadn't. I kind of just put that in the back of my head, but then it really connected at that point. So I engaged the realtor uh, to put the bid in, and he came back and said that he actually put in a bid for less and the bid was accepted. And then he also said that, good news, the landlord's going to put in new gas pumps new roof, new bathroom, new garage doors. And, you know, how great is that? You're gonna get a brand new station. Internally, I was thinking that this was just God's way to show, you know, his favor. So I was working my full-time job, which I couldn't really quit at the time. Um, but I remembered that a friend of mine said, that if I had ever started my own business, he would come work for me. So Albert called me out of the blue one day, said he was starting a business, asked if I wanted to come work for him, and I was in a spot where I was able to, so I moved from sunny California to cold Connecticut. All I needed was Gulf's final approval. 
final approval um, was denied by Gulf. Um, so the sale essentially was stopped. Um, so the owner, uh, Ali, came to me, you know, expressing his um, disappointment, but he told me that he and his wife decided to stay on as guarantors, basically, and lease the entire business to me. Uh, and I asked him why, and he said, because it's important for you and your church. So we've been running the station for about three months, and people ask why is it called Engedi Spring? So Engedi is a place in, in Israel, in the desert. In the middle of that desert, there is a waterfall, a place where King David, or David really, was sought refuge from King Saul and where he could get uh, refreshment and recharge. And that's what we want to do here. We want everyone to experience rest and refreshment, uh, irrespective of, you know, whether you can afford the service or not. That's, that's a very important part uh, of the prophecy that uh, Pastor Casey gave me. Even though we can do that in the natural, on a vehicle or a human level, we stand in the shadow of the church and Jesus can give us that on a spiritual level. Because there are people that may never set foot in our church, but they will buy gas. And that is the way that we can touch more people. Does God do miracles? Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. And uh, knowing the background, I think that gives us such joy to be able to support uh, this business with, uh, with our presence at that great uh, oasis. And uh, so you got impossible situations. Sometimes they're problems, but sometimes, like Albert, your impossible situation is a great adventure that's right in front of you. Uh, God's saying to you, take it, step out in courage, and uh, win the race. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.